So we continue our series, Bless This Home, and over the last few weeks we've been studying the Beatitudes. And so we'll continue that this morning. Last week I had you try to uh, quote what you memorized, and it was obvious you're not very good at homework, so we won't do that again, okay? But we're in Matthew chapter 5, so the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we'll be studying in the book of Matthew. We'll be looking at verse 5. And again, continuing this idea of blessing the home. What does it look like to live in a Christian home in the midst of our culture and our society? And so um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the beginning of the faith journey, we see that uh, God is talking to the people of Israel. And he says, hey, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Everywhere you go as a family of faith should be an opportunity to teach your children and teach your loved ones about the faith and what it means to be a follower of God. And so as we follow that through, now as followers of Jesus, of the new covenant, as followers of the way and as disciples of him, our house, as we've said, should be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so as a house that is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and as we're training up our children and training up the people we do life with and what it means to be followers of Jesus, he tells us that we should, in the home, be living the faith and practicing it and, and following it through. And so everywhere we go. And so when we think about it, as parents, this is kind of a scary thought because much of faith is caught more than taught. So think about it. I mean, whenever you throw a fit at a basketball game because of the ref made a bad call, your children are catching that. That's an interesting thought, right? Are those moments where we kind of like life just kind of presses in on us and kind of gets us and all of a sudden stuff rises up with inside of us and as soon as it comes out or as soon as it raises up, we're like, ooh, and we try to push it down below. You know what I'm talking about? And so that, and so what I want us to grasp this morning is, is that we kind of live life where we present 10% of who we are. Most of the time, when we're walking around and doing life, we present to about 10% of who we really are. Because we work hard at presenting an image that we want people to see about ourselves. So how many of you have ever seen an iceberg in real life? Anybody? A couple of people. Y'all are awesome. That's great. How many of y'all took the advantage of being near the iceberg and put on your your swim trunks and dove Below the surface to see what's below there. Nobody's brave enough. Wimps. Y'all are wimps. Alright. So hey, whenever we look at an iceberg, we are looking at only 10% of the iceberg. There's so much more to the iceberg that it's actually below surface. What I want you to think about is that you present 10% of your life to the world. To most people, they only get to see that 10% that's there, but so much more of who we are and what we're about and our core values and the foundation of the way that we do life is actually below surface. And so that these weeks that we're talking about blessing this home and talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and what does it mean to pass on our faith to our children, guess who gets to see the other 90%? Your wife, your kids your close friends that you kind of do life with, and they get to see that other 90%. And so as we're digging into this, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, okay, you've done a great job with cleaning up that 10%. Now let me dive deep, put on my swim trunks. Jesus is going to put on his swim trunks and dive deep with us and say, listen, I get to see the other 90%, and it is dark and dank, and there's some nasty stuff growing down there, and we got to do some hard work. And so that's why it's difficult as followers of Jesus sometimes to look at these passages and to say, ooh, 
God, do you want me to mourn my sin? And that means that he's diving deep with us. And so this morning, I want you to kind of grasp this image of what does it mean for him to dive deep and to dive deep with us and to shine the light on the 90% of our heart, the 90% of our life that we never try to allow to come up because we work so hard at letting people only see the 10%. Are you all with me? All right, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Let's read that together. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right? So the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, this is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes assume a new heart. So as Jesus is talking to his disciples, as the crowd has gathered and kind of sat around, it's just his disciples in a larger group. As he gathers around, he's teaching with the assumption of these people are followers of the way. They've, they've invested. They've bought in. They have a new heart. And so when you see in verse 3, he's saying to them, very first thing, he's saying, listen, the very first thing that as followers of the way and as followers of me is that we should be spiritually broken. There's a, a brokenness to us, and so we're kind of here with Jesus, and being in his presence breaks our heart. And then as we talked about last week, then there's a sorrow that comes in being in the presence of God, and whenever he points out the sin in our life that we don't want anyone to notice, that there's a mourning. And there, from that mourning, then there's motivation. Now, because of the mourning of our sin, we called it repentance. Remember, you're moving in this way, and you recognize that there's parts of your heart that are not in line with God's will, and so you stop, and you turn, and you're motivated, you're moved by the Spirit of God to move in this direction, that He moves you back toward toward Christ, and that your mourning motivates you to be closer to Him. So this morning, we're thinking about the idea of what it means to be meek. And this idea of meekness, most of the time when we see meek, we think weak. So you think of someone that you can kind of punch them in the arm and like, ow, you know those people? All right, you think of somebody who's not very strong, or you think someone who's just kind of a pushover. But in reality, the biblical idea of meekness is the opposite of that, and is actually someone who is strong, someone who has power and authority to act and to do things on their own behalf, but choose not to because of the character of who they are. And so as we think about this idea of meekness, you see in your notes the word pros, which is the word, it has several different meanings that I want us to kind of dig into. One is meekness. The other one is humble. Think about being gentle. Think about being considerate, soothing, teachable, and strength under control. Sometimes we would say self-control, but what I want to say even more than self-control is God-control, is that we submit ourselves to God and God then takes control of the reins of our life. Some examples of meekness. Number one is Moses. Y'all know Moses. How many of y'all love camping? A couple of you? And most of you, on y'all think camping, we're calling it glamping. Right? you got to have a 40-foot RV with air conditioner and all that kind of stuff, right? Some of you still tent, do the tent thing. I mean, at our house, when we go camping, it's like, okay, how much electrical power is there going to be? Because we got to have our hair flatteners and we got all this different stuff that we do. we got to have all that, right? So, of course, obviously, I need a hair flattener or straightener or whatever you call it, okay? See, I'm, I'm such an expert on hair, I can't even tell you what it is. All right. So, you got to have all those different things. And so, imagine Moses for 40 years walking around with a million people camping. That would be a beating. I mean, like, I've done, like, weekend retreats with students, and, like, Sunday night, I'm like, hey, here's your kids. You're gone. See ya. 
right? But for 40 years, he's walking around with people that are griping and complaining. It doesn't matter how good the food is. They're complaining about it. It's too much. It's not enough. It's not the right. It's whatever. The biscuits are too hard. Whatever the different stuff is. The quail is not good enough. And so everywhere. And then can you imagine constantly he's hearing, are we there yet? Are we there yet? All of the time. And so I imagine someone with the power and authority that was granted to Moses would easily could say, listen, I'm done with you people. Have GPS, figure it out on your own because I'm gone. But because of who he was, because of his meekness, because of his humbleness, he understood that he was the one that had to act on their behalf and lead the people from, from slavery to freedom, that that was his calling. And that he had an opportunity to use his power and authority to hurt and to harm, but he used it for the goodness of other people. So Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, is described this way. It says, Now Moses was a very humble or meek man, more meek and humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Imagine the power and authority that it took and the strength that it took for him to stand before Pharaoh, who would have been the strongest king, the strongest leader in the world. And he knew Pharaoh, and he stood before him in strength and said, Listen, Pharaoh, let my people go. If you do not let my people go, then this is going to be the consequences. This is what, and you can imagine what kind of strength that takes, the inner fortitude that that takes to stand before the king and say, let my people go or else. And the Pharaoh looking at him going, who are you bringing? It's you and your staff, dude. What are you doing? And he goes, I've got more on my side than you realize. And the fortitude that it takes to do that, that, that is meekness. The ability to say, listen, I can do so much more, but to stand in that strength and say that my strength and authority and power is not for my benefit, but for the benefit of others. That's meekness. Then also Jesus, right? That here he is, as he has the opportunity to, to do anything, and he stands before and says, I can take out anyone, I can take out everyone, and he stands before Caesar and says, hey, you, you, I surrender my rights and privileges to you. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my teaching upon you, and learn from me. For I am meek and gentle and humble and hard, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But here is a strong man who stood against evil. Here's a, a strong man who stood against the, the religious leaders of the day. Here's a, a strong man that stood and said, hey, here are the defenseless, here are the helpless, and he, and he fought for them on their behalf. Again, he had the power and authority to do so much more, but he used it for the defense of those that couldn't defend for themselves, and he, and he led them to a place of life. What does it look like for us to be meek? Meekness is like a gentle breeze. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? For us, how many of y'all love sitting on the front porch? And you got a little sweet tea, and you're kind of there just relaxing, and then all of a sudden this gentle breeze comes by. It's calming. It's refreshing. There's something calming and refreshing about someone who has power and authority to use it for their own defense, for their own good, and they use it for the defense of others. It's refreshing to us to see that. The other idea of meekness is it's one that's a soothing medicine. Not about you, but at some point your kids had had a little bit of a, a bum, bum rash. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever they kind of get irritated. And whenever they get irritated, what do you give them? You give them Boudreaux's butt paste, right? Because you know that Boudreaux's butt paste is going to do what? It's going to be like a soothing medicine. It's an interesting idea that God would say, listen, that meekness, someone who has the opportunity to use their power and authority for their own good but doesn't choose to do that is like a soothing medicine to the soul, that we get to see what true power 
is like. Another interesting idea of what meekness is, is not only that it's a soothing medicine, but also that it's like we're a lifelong learner. That someone who has power and authority, usually whenever they're in a power and authority, they kind of, they've arrived. And so there's this natural human tendency that when we've arrived, when you get to a certain degree level or whatever, that you just kind of stop learning. You, you've, you've got it all, you've learned it, everyone else then comes to you so that you can dispense wisdom to them. But here what Jesus says is, listen, to be meek means that you've reached a certain level of power and authority and you have this wisdom to dispense, but, but that in your own wisdom that you sit at the feet of others and submit and continue to learn. One of my favorite things is I teach college courses at Colorado Christian, and one of my favorite things is in teaching is every once in a while there's a student who come and they will tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Right, And so I love that because it's their first course in college, and so they obviously have learned it all. And so they there then sit down, and so the opportunity to say, hey, listen, here's all the things that you need to know. And so it's a great opportunity for me in that moment to gently instruct and say, hey, listen, there's so much more for us to learn. And, and for us, again, as followers of, of Jesus, we should constantly be submitting our hearts and our lives to the king and to the great rabbi and learning from him. That we should be reading or we should be listening to audible books. We should be listening to podcasts. We should be entering into discussions that we should, in those moments, we should be submitting ourselves under the teaching of others who have some wisdom to impart to us. That's, again, one of the beauties of life groups is that people are in different seasons of life and we can submit ourselves. And, and how beautiful a deal it is for someone who's a new parent like London, who we've talked about, London, who has three young ones, to sit under the tutelage of someone who's already raised some kids and now they're helping raise grandkids and to say, hey, here's some of the things that we've learned and and the wisdom that there is from those people. What does it look like for us to be lifelong learners, to submit whenever many people would say that you've arrived? And then finally, this idea of a horse that's been trained. Now, listen, I recently moved out to the country like three months ago. And so because I've moved out into the country in Fayette County, I have now become an expert horse trainer. All right? I mean, the fair has, you know, the fair has happened. I walked through the little training grounds of the fair, and I watched all this different stuff. And so I've learned a lot of things. And I know Hannah grew up around horses, and she said, Chris, you've got it. You've learned it all. There's nothing else you need to learn about horses. And so this morning, I'm here as the expert on horses to train you on how you can train a horse. Are you all ready? All right. So the very first thing that you have to do is you actually have to have a horse. All right? So that's, that's, step, that's step number one. You have to have a horse or access to a horse. All right? And so as you, if you have a horse or you have access to one, and just kind of, you're beginning to develop a relationship. And so to develop this relationship, you, kind of, you walk up to them nicely and gently, and, and you begin to have a conversation with them. So some of you have heard of this guy named the Horse Whisperer. Have you ever seen that? The movie you heard about? Yeah, that's now me. Okay, and so you can walk up to a horse and you just whisper and you begin to talk. And this whole time that you're talking and whispering, you're trying to develop a relationship. You want to develop a rapport with this horse because you know as the trainer that there's something in the future that you're going to require of this horse. And so you need to develop a relationship with this horse because in all honesty, this horse is stronger and bigger and faster than you are. So if it decides it doesn't want to be a part and it takes off, you're not going to catch it. Okay. That's number two. You have to have a horse. Be nice to it because it will run off, all right? And so as you begin to develop this relationship and talk, what you're trying to do is develop a trust relationship. So then the second thing, not just developing a trust relationship 
with this horse is that you want this horse to begin to understand that it would be better for the horse not to roam the hills and to roam all over the countryside of Fayette County, but it would be much better for that horse to get under the control of the reins so that it can harness the power and harness the energy to, for the task and the chores that it would be best for them and obviously best for you as well, to, to fulfill its purpose in life, but to be, come under the control. Now, this means that sometimes you're going to have to be firm but loving because horses continue to think and they have their own mind and they want to do things, okay? So you continue to talk and continue to build this relationship. It doesn't just end. You're still working through it. And then the final part of it or one of the final things is that you actually have to help the horse understand that there's going to be distractions in life. And so you're going to have to put it in the trailer and kind of go to that. You're going to have to do some different things because ultimately all horses in Fayette County are destined for the Kentucky Derby. And so if your horse, like mine, is destined for the Kentucky Derby, then you have to remove the fact that they can't understand that there's other distractions. They have to run the race despite the fact that there's distractions. And so if you'll notice on the Kentucky Derby, some horses are still trying to figure out this whole getting under control thing. And so sometimes the owners put blinders on them to keep their eyes focused on the goal ahead, the the race that's ahead. Now, this idea of a horse being trained and being led to the place where they understand that the fulfillment of their purpose, the best place for them is to be under the control of the trainer and the rider and, and to remove life's distractions. Sounds a lot like what the Holy Spirit tries to do and work in our own heart and our own life. Is that God comes to us and he says to us, listen, I know that there's some things that are ahead and I want you to trust me. Would you get to know my voice and begins to whisper so that we can hear his voice in the midst of distractions He knows that distractions are going to come. And in the midst of those distractions, all the other voices, we have a tendency to not listen to the voice of the trainer and of the Holy Spirit, but to get our own side. And so we kind of see things and we kind of pursue our own track in our own way. And that's when we get messed up and we kind of get off track of where we're supposed to be going. And so God knows that, hey, listen, I need you to become comfortable with me and to trust me because I'm going to take you some places that you never thought you would be possible for you. And in that, we're listening to his voice and he's whispering, he's developing trust. So that in that moment, when the distractions of life come, that there's going to be times where as we're developing trust, he's going to have to put some blinders on us so that we will understand that he will never lead us astray. That there is not something better on the other side, that God always has his best for us. And that sometimes we think, we believe that we know what's best and that we want to have self-control and not be under God control. And whenever we try to get under self-control, then we pursue our own agenda. And God says, listen, I want to put blinders on you for this moment so you can develop complete trust that God the Father through the Holy Spirit is directing your path so that you can run the race to the fullest and that you under God control your power, your strength, your energy, everything about what you are created to do is at its best when you are pursuing me and me alone. That that's what meekness is. is having the opportunity in our own power and our own authority to do life. And to make our own decisions and to do things the way that we want to do it. But in meekness, surrendering under God control so that he can direct our path and we can run the race of victory. We already know that we're victorious, but we can get there with all the energy, with all the power, with all the strength. And enjoy the pleasure of what it means of running the race for the Father. And not being distracted by the junk of life. 
May we be people that surrender our rights and our powers and submit to the teaching of the great rabbi. May we hear the whispers of the Father's voice as we're running the race, and may we sense and know that he is trustworthy and that he is giving us a task, he's giving us a purpose, that we are created in his image, and each one of us are unique. In our race, he wants to move us and motivate us to where we will be finding the most pleasure and fulfillment in him. And then the meek will inherit the earth. Our challenge is, may we not continue to live with just the, not, this, the 10% visible. May we allow Jesus to dive deep under the surface and do the inspecting, doing the work, so that we can get to that place that we can completely trust and know that he has his best intentions for us. May your 90% be teachable. May your 90% be transformable. Because let's be honest, most of the time, we want that 90% to be below service and never seen or heard from again. But to be a follower of Jesus means to allow him to dig and to go below surface and to teach, even in the dark places. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that we would remain teachable. That we would remain transformable. And that, Father, that those places underneath the surface of our life, may we just allow you to do the work that you want to do, the hard work, the chiseling, the exposing, Father, may you do that work. Father, this morning we want to admit that we want to trust you and we want to hear the whispers of your voice. Father, may you, if we need it, may you put blinders on our eyes and our soul. May you put blinders on our desires that are not of you. And Father, may we run the race into sense and to know the pleasure of running it full out for you. It's in your son's name that we pray.